You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us today. Week two of our Advent series, uh, week two for us, week one for everybody else in the world. That's right, Mission Ridge, 25% more for the same price. Uh, We did an Advent preparation sermon last week, and we have this definition for Advent for us, and I should have given this to Anitra to have this on the slide. We'll do that next week, but Advent is a time of preparation, reflection, and anticipation in the darkest days of the year to celebrate the arrival of the light of the world. It's a time for preparation, a time for reflection, and a time for anticipation. And and churches around the world have been celebrating Advent for centuries. And I think it's pretty cool that we get to get to partake in this ancient practice that kind of roots us, uh, reminds us how ancient this faith is. And, um, and so this is something that we jump into each year. It, uh, as Logan talked about, the festivals that shaped the calendar for the Jewish people and their celebration of their God and, and helped them just stay connected and what it meant to worship the Lord we have our festivals. We have two, basically. We had Advent with Christmas, and we have Lent with Easter. And, and, those, and that kind of drives our calendar uh, in, in, in a similar way. Now, this week, we're going we're gonna to actually dive into the, the nativity scene. I, I love that our graphic has the nativity scene uh, built into it. When you picture the nativity scene, what words come to mind? What words come to mind for you? Because when I picture the nativity scene, I think of calm and quiet, a maybe peaceful, gentle, exciting. Uh, these are just some of the words that come to mind, and, and I think it's probably because of, of, of our songs. You know, we, we sang tonight, what child is this who, who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping. I mean, doesn't that seem peaceful and calm and not, not, all, not all that exciting, although parents, when their kids are sleeping, their babies in particular are sleeping, there's some excitement there. <laughs> maybe not the first night, but as life goes on, uh, we have, you know, maybe uh, my, one of my favorite Christmas songs, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, All is Bright. You know, so we have this picture of what this nativity event was like. And it's, and it's, and it's based upon the music that we listen to and... You know, the, the movies that we watch, uh, I think in terms of Hallmark 
and the movie tropes that are out there. That Christmas saves the day every time, right? Have you seen a Hallmark movie where Christmas doesn't ultimately save the day? I want to see that one. I want to see the one with explosions, people dying. Sorry. Um, wrong sermon. Um, we have these certain tropes. We have these certain pictures in our mind that culture kind of drives the conversation of what Christmas is like, what Advent is supposed to be about. And for me, some of my very best memories in life center around family, center around Christmas, center around gifts, uh, center around celebration. But the opposite is true too. Uh, You guys know about our year that we had where where we took our youngest child to Seattle Children's Hospital on the regular. We had, I don't know, uh, what, 18, at least 18 emergency surgeries in that time period. We had 30, 33 surgeries total. A couple of them were on our toes. That was pretty easy compared to the other options. Um, what you probably don't know is that that whole season we were isolated from our, from our friends. We spent a lot of time in Seattle, and when we get when we get back from Seattle, we would, you know, just kind of put our life back together, try to get work going in the right direction again, clean the house again, pay the bills. But we spent a ton of time away from our, our friends and our family. And in that particular year, we hadn't seen Christie's family um, except for the previous Christmas, and so we were really excited to celebrate. Christmas Eve with my uh, brother-in-law and my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law and stepfather-in-law. And we sat down for dinner with them. And then our youngest starts having some symptoms. And I'm sick. I've got a cold. It's, you know, it started coming on in that morning. And, and it's getting worse and it's getting worse for me, physically, I'm just not feeling well. And it became apparent that we needed to go to the hospital. And so Christy takes the kids back to Moscow, hadn't seen her family in a year. Night gets canceled. And I take our youngest to the ER there in Spokane and Fortunately for us, they quickly said, we can't help you. And so I did the drive to Seattle. That was my Christmas Eve. That's not my worst Christmas Eve. It's not my worst. Somehow, we, we built into the American Christian narrative that when Christmas shows up, the problems go away. It didn't happen on the first Christmas. Why do we think it will happen now? And why do we sell ourselves that's going to happen now? 
that life will suddenly, and if it's, if it's been good for us, that's great, but our friend down the street that's been dealing with, with cancer, it doesn't go away. Or the family that, that lost grandma and grandpa in a strange accident that year, like that doesn't go away. The first Christmas without them. If you're without a job at Christmas time, doesn't it seem maybe a little harder than the rest of the time of the year? And that's the, that, that first Christmas, if we pay attention, if we listen for it, we're going we're gonna to find that there was chaos, there were problems, there were, there were enemies, and there was no quick fix. There was no quick fix. Well, let's jump into the narrative. Let's listen for the story, behind the story. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. You know, in most movies, they give you a few minutes before they let you know the bad news. <laughs> Matthew doesn't even wait. Like, he gives you, like, this is hard already. I can't imagine in that culture what it would be like to be with child by the Holy Spirit in a male-dominant world and man. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not have a fear. Do not have a phobia, quite literally in the Greek, to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived as of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the Lord, through the, I lost my spot. There we go. Uh, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife. But he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now that's Matthew's account in chapter 1. Uh, in chapter 2, the story continues. We won't go there quite yet because Luke provides us some details that, that Matthew doesn't. He says in Luke 2 that there was a decree from Caesar Augustus and that the, the entire inhabited world was made to, to go out and register for a census. Can you imagine what it's like to live in a world where a man that lives in a different country makes a decision, and, and even though you're poor and, and, and pregnant, you get to go on a long journey so you could register for a census. 
What kind of world was that to live in? And so they leave Nazareth and they head to Bethlehem. And they're going to, since there's no room at the end, they're going to go to a spot like this. This is a shepherd's cave around Bethlehem. Not sure if it's the same one, but this is the kind of place where families and communities would would keep their animals when when it was cold outside. Um, Not that these are... Never mind, bad joke. All right, so pressing on. So Matthew 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod... The king, Magi from the east, arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. I don't know if I've ever noticed that before, but even Herod understood what the reference was here. That there was a coming Messiah. Even Herod understood that. It's amazing. Uh, What does he do with that information, though? They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So Jerusalem's all abuzz. These, these three men, this entourage coming through town, they're looking for this king that's to be born. Herod knows that they're talking about the Messiah. The Pharisees, or I'm sorry, not the Pharisees, the scribes, And the Sadducees, they know that this is supposed to be the Messiah, and they know what town this is supposed to take place in. Now, how many people run to Bethlehem to meet their new king? Not very many. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. He misspelled murder. (laughs) We have this scene, the very first Christmas Seen with the same kinds of enemies that we deal with today. You have the political enemies. You have the 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 greedy. You have false religion. Like it's all represented in this story. What's it like to live under the oppression of not only Rome, but under the oppression of Herod? And not only under the pressure of Rome and Herod, but under the pressure of the priests that become rich through their service. What's that like? What's fascinating is, is Herod was no stranger to Bethlehem. Herod had three, three palaces. His, his smallest of his palaces were 
in this next picture. This is Herodium. And um, Herodium was um, believed to either, they either reshaped this hill into a mountain or they moved it. Some historians believe that, that he actually moved a mountain. And I wonder if, if, if that was the case, is that where Jesus, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. If you have faith of a mustard seed, you could ask this mountain to be moved. Um, I wonder if there was a mountain that any of the Judeans wanted thrown into the sea. <laughs> it might be this one. Um, this is actually a, a, a palace. There's, there was 45 acres of, of buildings and 200 acres of, of palace grounds. This is his smallest palace. It had a Roman bathhouse. It had courtyards. It had an enormous pool at the top. At the top. And they fed the pools that were throughout through, through springs. And then they also they built viaducts. And uh, they captured rain. But Herod built this and built everything that he ever built on the backs of the people of Israel. This overshadows the spot where Christ was born. This is just, just a couple miles away from Bethlehem. And it quite literally casts a shadow on the towns that surround it. And so, let's take a look at the next picture. There we go. Um, this is what the first Christmas probably looked like. It wasn't that Herod was off into... Jerusalem and, and, and Jesus was just born in, in some corner part of the country. Jesus was quite literally born in the shadow of one of Herod's greatest accomplishments. If Christ's advent changes everything, why was he born in the shadow of Herodium? Why did God choose this spot? Why, why did Isaiah prophesy hundreds of years before that this would be the spot that Christ would be born? See, in this story, we are told that Advent saves us from our past transgressions. We're, we're told that we're saved from our sins. We're, we're told that, that a Savior would come to save us from our sins. And we also know that Advent reminds us that we have a future. That regardless of how things look today, we have a future because of Christ. 
But I also think Advent reminds us of one other thing. And to talk about that, I want to take a look at Isaiah 57, 15. Using the God's word translation, this is what the prophet says. The high and lofty one lives forever, and his name is holy. This is what he says. I live in a high and holy place, but I'm with those who are crushed and humble. I will renew the spirit of those who are humble and the courage of those who are crushed. That word for humble, it has an interesting start. The very first time uh, that's used is in Leviticus, and it's talking about the skin, how you, if you look at the skin when you're leprous, You're looking for the, the part of the skin that's humbled, that's lowered. Through Isaiah, the Lord is not saying, I live with those who are pious. He says, I live with those, I choose to be with those who've been brought low who've been pulverized, who've been crushed, who've been humiliated. These are the kinds of people that God chooses to be with. And so Advent doesn't remind us only that God saves us from our past transgressions or saves us or secures our future but it also speaks to the choices that God makes. Who does, the, does our God want to be with? And, and if this Christmas you've been hit over and over and over, you've been pulverized, you've been crushed, you've been humiliated, you've been brought low, Christ chooses to be with you. Christ chooses to live with you. And the question is, are you going to focus on the challenges? Are you going to focus on the problems, or you can focus on what has led you to this point, or you can focus on those things, or you can dwell on the fact that Christ chooses to live with you. As I think about Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, on that fateful night when Christ came into the world, they had a choice on what to focus on. They had a choice of what to dwell on. They had a choice whether they're going to embrace their past or celebrate the Christ that was in front of them. And there would be no quick fix. 
I mean, think about Jesus' first miracle. As far as we know, it's 30 years later. Right? It's a long time. It's a long time. Sometimes the challenges that we face don't go away very quickly. They last. I'm going to use this on purpose. A, a, a hell of a lot longer than I would choose. Some of the things that we face as a family, some of the things we face as a church, some of the things I've watched my friends go through, painful. And because we lit a candle and turned on some lights and threw out some decorations and spent some money on some presents, it didn't change any of those things quickly, if at all. It might have added just a little bit of salt to the wound. Implication is this. Advent reconciles our past. It reconciles our past. That's good news. And meets us in our present and gives us hope for the future. But we still have to be honest about our present, don't we? We still have to be honest about what's going on. Either the reality that we face or, or the reality that our neighbor faces, our best friend, our family, those that we love. See, the, it reconciles our past because... The angel said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And, and there's a reality to the fact that I don't have to hang on to my past experiences, my past failures. I don't have to, I don't have to walk around with that shame anymore. He took care of that. Now, sometimes I, those are the things that I want to remember. Those are the things that I, I let entangle me. Those are the things that keep me from running the race that God has called me to run. And Advent also gives us a hope for our future. It's a reminder that, that the daily grind that we're in is not where this ends. The daily grind that we're in today, this is not where it ends. It ends when Christ returns in his glory, in his majesty, and we get to meet him in the sky. And, and Advent is a reminder of that. We're to remind each other of that reality. And there's a hope to that. There's a hope to that. There's also hope in the fact that he made a choice to live in our midst that he chooses to be with us when it's the hardest, when it's the most painful, when we think we can't take another step and yet we have to take another 20. There's a reality that he chooses us, that he would call himself Emmanuel, God with us. There's a hope to that too. 
And if we could get our eyes off of the problems, off the challenges, off the failures, off the frustrations, and get our eyes on that reality, we can actually experience hope. And we have something to share, something worth sharing. So that's our implication. Our advantageous next steps. Yes, Logan Daly is on my staff. <laughs> Our advantageous next steps. Uh, be transparent with yourself and others about the areas of hopelessness that you face. Be transparent. <laughs> Maybe with yourself first, but then with others about the areas of hopelessness that you face. In this season, sometimes we'll just run headlong into it. It's like, okay, ignoring, ignoring the debt that's piling up, and ignoring the, the medical issues, and ignoring the family concerns, and you know, like, we're just gonna run into this season, and we're gonna fill up our schedule, and people are going to say, how are you doing? And we'll lie through our teeth and go, I'm doing fine. If I ever ask you how you're doing, you answer fine. I will ask you this question every time on a scale of 1 to 10. Tell me what fine is. Do you know what the average is when I ask that question, by the way? It's about a 4. Tell me, do you think 4 is fine? It's not. I will, if you ask me, I will be brutally honest, not because I'm a masochist, but because I need transparency. I need vulnerability. I need authenticity. It's something that I need as a human being. I'm a human being first, a pastor second. Maybe fifth. Human being, husband, father, yeah, maybe fifth. I need to be transparent with you. I had to call off uh, a date Wednesday night with some friends in a room, and I'm like, I'm not in a good headspace. I don't usually stay there long. If it goes longer than a day, I, it's just, that's a big deal in my world. But that's where I was at. I'm like, I would not be good company. I tried to climb out of the hole that I was in emotionally. I could not do it. Not that day. We need to be transparent. We need to talk about real life talk about real issues in our lives, not just sugarcoat because it's Christmas. We need to be open and honest with each other. And then secondly, engage people in their hopelessness, taking Christ with you as you go. Meet people in their cave. Meet people in their cave. Meet people in the reality of their world. Someone is doing that right now. 
I think the thing that stops us from meeting people and the problems that, they're have, that they have is because we don't think, we don't know how to solve the problem. It took Jesus 30 years to figure it out. You got time. Maybe the point is you're not there to solve the problem. Maybe the point is you're just supposed to be there. The thing is, is we need to see people. If we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we need to see people like Jesus sees them. Not always there with an answer. But willing to live where Christ lives with those who've been crushed, with those who've been demoralized, with the Washington Huskies. I've been saving that joke all service, all service. They were so crushed. <laughs> if you haven't figured out, I'm a Washington State Cougar fan and we have one Husky in the room. And her team was crushed. Uh, I'm going to engage with her in her hopelessness. <laughs> How God made my mind work. I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> Can't hold a joke in. Um, <laughs> seriously, though. We should engage people in the real hopelessness. Um, guys, again, Advent reconciles our past. It reconciles it. It meets us in our present. Whatever the circumstances are, Christ is here. Christ chooses you and gives us hope for the future. We're going to do something a little different today. Uh, we're going to uh, pass out communion here in just a moment. But uh, I'm going to have you hold the communion elements uh, during our last song. Our last song is, is one of my favorite songs to worship through. And it's the Litter, Little Drummer Boy. And as we engage with this song, I want you to think about you coming before Christ. And what's that moment like when you're before him? Do you see yourself as poor too? Do you see yourself showing up to the throne room of heaven going, I don't think I have anything to offer. But of what I have is yours. Maybe this has been a tough, tough year for you. Maybe you felt robbed a thousand different ways. Maybe you feel crushed and broken. And coming before Christ seems like the most painful thing. chooses you. He created you. 
He smiles at you in this moment. So reflect on that as we worship through the song. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. We are a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. For more information about Mission Ridge, visit our website, missionridge.church. Thanks for tuning in. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas.